Broadcast, podcast, broadcast, podcast, broadcast, podcast, broadcast, podcast, podcast, broadcast, broadcast, podcast, podcast, broadcast, broadcast, podcast. What are we gonna do? We're gonna wear makeup. All right, so you know, usually it's funny with, with podcasts. Everyone always has like this little introduction, and then they introduce you as if there's going to be some big applause or something. <laughs> you know, it's just this, so. I'm just going to tell you your own accomplishments, just so you know them, just in case. Okay. You are John Morales. I am John yes, Morales. Yes, I am. You're the longest tenured weather person in South Florida. That's right. Uh, been on the air since 1991, so that that's a long time, a quarter century on TV here in South Florida. So that makes me the longest tenured. Uh, there, there's other folks, who, great colleagues who I admire and who've been here on TV a long time, but it, it, it hasn't been uninterrupted, right? I mean, people like John Gerard, for example, uh, who's, who's currently not on TV here in South Florida, but he, uh, uh, just till the other day, was, was on the air as well. So he's been on the air for a long time, but as far as uninterrupted uh, tenure on TV, I'm the one. This is the guy. It's, uh, it's just objective. Objectively, <laughs> you just happen to be. You have Wikipedia page. Did you know that? Uh no, <laughs> you don't have a picture though. You should you should get to that. Okay, well I'll, I'll, I'll since everybody can contribute to Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You should contribute to your own I'll, Wikipedia. I'll, page. I'll do that, and I'll let others then correct me. Correct. Yeah, <laughs> no, correct no, my embellishments. Not true, John. I'll no, correct my embellishments. You're not John Rose. <laughs> uh, so you know, it's weird. Weather is like its own little category, and it's. I mean, when people are applying for weather jobs, is there a reel for weather? And is yes. it just broadcast? There's no packages in it, right? Right, so uh, there is a demo reel uh, for weather, and um, you know it's tough when you're starting out and you're seeking out your first job. You know how do you get a demo reel accomplished? And and uh, usually the students that have access to a student-run newscast or a student-run uh, station are the ones that might have that opportunity. On occasion, on occasion, students might intern at a local TV station uh, where they might get a chance to do a demo reel too. But it's much better when the students are actually on a student-run newscast where they get to be on the air regularly over the course of a year or years so that they can refine their skills so that the on-air presentation becomes a confident and fluid presentation where, where you have some material that you can actually present to a, a real you know, TV job market and try to, try to get in there, get your foot in the door. Yeah, got to get that foot in the door. It's mm-hmm. weird, you know, I feel like weather, more than the other uh, departments of a newscast, is you need to be the most well-spoken for it because, I mean, unless I'm wrong, a lot, it's not very scripted, right? It, no, it's not scripted you, I mean, you're at just all. talking. Right, right. It's not scripted at all. We, you know, we're on the air for about three minutes uh, every time, and the three minutes, uh, they, they, switch off the, um, they switch off the prompter and put on video. So as opposed to the anchors, her anchors who are reading script off a prompter right there on the, on the camera... They switch it to video so I can see myself with the weather maps behind me projected on that green screen or chroma key, yeah. as it was called in the old days. So that's one point of reference for me. And then I have two monitors on either side of me outside of the shot so people can't see it. But I make reference to them so I know where I'm standing, what, what I'm pointing to on the map uh, when I'm presenting the weather. But it's not scripted, meaning that you have to know what you're talking about. And, uh, you know, if you're going to do an ad lib three-minute presentation where your only guide is the sequence of maps or satellite pictures or radars or forecasts that you've put uh, on your weather graphics computer on the air 
and you're going to talk for three minutes on that, well, you better know your stuff. Yeah, exactly. And how many years do you think before you felt like confident, like you don't have to practice for like an hour to get it right yeah. for three minutes, you know? Yeah, uh, well, I mean, so for meteorologists, I think it's pretty easy uh, because you know what you're looking at. I mean, I can stand in front of a satellite picture and probably talk about it for, you know, all three minutes just looking at at features on that satellite picture that I can discuss and point out and, and, and give you details about because as a meteorologist I know these things. Now obviously during a normal weather segment on TV, TV I don't spend three minutes on one satellite picture uh, because that would bore people to death and it would be too scientific. Um, but what what's difficult to find is a scientist in other words, an atmospheric scientist or meteorologist who also has the ability to fluidly and confidently present on the air for those three minutes. There's a lot of great meteorologists out there, but they may not be able to communicate very well. And actually, you know, when you look at scientists in general, scientists are not necessarily the best communicators. So, you know, out of, out of the 14,000 or so American Meteorological Society members, only about 1,500 are broadcast meteorologists. So that means 10% of us work on TV and the, re and the other 90% work in other fields of the atmospheric sciences. Uh, so there's where the 90% the that doesn't necessarily communicate all that well goes to and, and, and the few folks that really have this uh, communicative ability, uh, we're, we're on the air. Yeah. And you're talking about the science stuff. I mean, this might be a dumb question, but how much of your job really is science? How good at science do you need to be in order to be a good meteorologist? Because I know, like, David Letterman yeah. was a meteorologist, and right. no one thinks about that. I mean, how smart do you really need to be to do well, that? Well, I so I, I think David Letterman is a, is a weather caster or weatherman. Uh, right. He may not necessarily have the background uh, to... True, uh, ...or True. degree to call himself a meteorologist. But um, these days the vast majority of people presenting weather on TV actually have a degree or they have some form of certification that allows them to call themselves meteorologists on television. All right? Two different things. The Yes, well there's three different things, right? There's weather casters that don't have any type of anything. And they're, they're just, just and regurgitating. They're, yeah, they're just, they take the National Weather Service forecast and um, maybe they've been on the, in the market for a number of years and they have enough experience to, to, to confidently present the weather forecast on TV. And I should add that weather forecasting, right, and, and really operational meteorology, which is what we do, is as much an art as it is a science. Because forecasting, uh, there's a lot of experience entailed in forecasting. You've seen different weather situations over and over again, and you learn from them over the course of years. So experience plays a big role in making for a good forecaster and, and an experienced meteorologist usually is a better forecaster down the road. So what I'm trying to tell you is that you don't necessarily need to be the whiz in the room, you know, right. the, 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 the best scientist to, to, to be the best broadcast meteorologist on TV. I think uh, experience, communication skills, forecasting skills are, are and, and as I said, communication skills are very important to be able to get the message across and have people uh, respond to your message. And wh what would you say, like, are all the top markets meteorologists, though? Like, they're immersed in this subject. I do believe so. I mean, so 
there's a couple of markets where weather is not very intensive. Uh, places like Los Angeles, for example. So in Los Angeles, you will find that the morning weathercaster may not be a meteorologist. And more often than not, uh, it's going to be a, 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 weather, uh, a weather woman presenting the, 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 the newscast on TV that, uh, during the morning time. In the evenings, they'll have a meteorologist. Because even in L.A., there is bad weather, especially in the wintertime. So you need to have an experienced person uh, uh, there. But I'd say just about anywhere else uh, across the major markets in the U.S., uh, you'll find degreed or certified meteorologists. They either have a, a traditional atmospheric sciences degree from a university, four-year university, including calculus and physics, or they have this other certification where they have some science background, but then they get a little bit, let's call it weather light. <laughs> uh, they get um, uh, the basics of weather uh, from uh, Mississippi State University, which allows them to, to call themselves meteorologists on TV and present the weather. Yeah. So top markets usually in there. Top markets are either going to have the Mississippi State people or a bona fide uh, meteorology degree. Yeah. 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 Um, while we're talking about meteorology, obviously... It just so happens that we are in a place that has some pretty crazy uh, uh, meteorology, particularly hurricanes, which my school, Miami Hurricanes, lets you know that if we're going to name our mascot or yeah. <laughs> our team name after something like that, sure. better uh, exist. So, you know, with the hurricanes down, I mean, when you, it's such a, you have such an interesting job because you're, you're making, like, your job gets more, not exciting, but uh, intensive when bad things are happening. And that's such a weird, I, mean, I guess that is local news as a whole, but for, uh, for you, like when you see uh, w with your science that a hurricane might be coming, mm -hmm. are you thinking like, I need to play this up or play this down? Right. Well, it depends, right? I mean, if it's really a serious threat, we'll play it up. But that's rarely the case. I mean, I've, I've been on TV for 25 years and, uh, in this market, and we've had very few hurricane strikes off Florida over the course of the 25 years. Uh, let's see, uh, Andrew, Irene, Wilma. Uh, Katrina, Wilma, uh, that's pretty much four. Mm -hmm. uh, hurricane strikes South Florida over 25 years. So that's, that's not a frequent uh, occurrence. Now, um, as an experienced forecaster, as somebody that has a feel for what is serious and what is not, I'll set the tone on TV and I'll um, let people know if it's really serious, then I'll have a certain tone and a certain message that I'm trying to convey. But, you know, I tell you what, I mean, if it's, if it's not going to be a threat, I'm going to call it. Uh, that way and um, give folks the facts and not hype it up. Um, I think we, we've got a, a big issue here in this uh, TV market with hyping up uh, tropical systems when they're really not something to be concerned about. And uh, I don't know who um, is uh, pressuring the uh, broadcast meteorologists to, to do what they do on TV, but it, it almost seems like there's uh, some ratings pressure involved and it's very difficult to, to uh, swim against the current and be the one that's keeping people uh, on an even keel when other stations are going, uh, you know, haywire over something which may not be a threat. Yeah, that is weird. I, I can't imagine. I mean, you probably turn on another station's weathercast. It's like, oh, come on. I know that's not that bad. Right. They're playing it up. That must bother you. Yeah, well, and sometimes I'll call them out on it on, on uh, social media, too. Good. Uh, you have a pretty good Twitter. I mean, you've, like... 
over 20. A, a few, yeah. Yeah, you're, yeah. I don't know, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. <laughs> well, like over 25,000. Uh, yeah, something like that. But, uh, well, I mean, so the, the knack to that is, is making sure that, that you're serving people the right way. I, I like to respond to everybody. I mean, if people ask me questions on social media, I, I like to respond to There's every a lot of responsibility question. To your job. Yeah. Um, uh, because, you know, it helps people, uh, uh, especially if it's something serious, if there's a threat of a storm, um, uh, and even if I know it's not a threat, people may not necessarily know that yet, and they're asking questions about a certain storm that might be a threat. So I like to respond to those, and then when I have time to do it on TV, I'll do it as well. And the good thing about when there are these threats is usually I get more time on TV, and I get to really, really get up there and really educate people about what the situation is, how dangerous it may or may not be. Um, and uh, again, I mean, I, I'm the non-alarmist guy. I will alarm people if I need to, but I'm not going to alarm you if I don't need to. And, and that's, uh, that's been my style uh, for, for my entire tenure on TV. And what's your week like when these giant, I know only a few have come, but when they do come, I mean, for you, most people, they, think, they see, oh, a hurricane's coming, I'm going to leave or go get shelter, but your job is to go out into the open, yeah. come over to the station and talk about it. I mean, yeah. how, what is your week like when that happens? Yeah, I mean, so those weeks get pretty intense, um, and uh, usually we start to ramp up with something that might be a threat, and we start to follow it with, with more frequent uh, coverage in the newscasts and maybe some... Uh, will break into programming at other odd times of the day. So the days start to get longer. They get to get more. In, they they get more intense in terms of uh, the number of times we get on TV. And then if we fall within that cone, that uh, that uh, area of uh, the forecast path that the National Hurricane Center issues, uh, then <laughs> then we're talking very serious coverage and. Um, the newscast really starts to uh, think about the possibility of going wall-to-wall, meaning preempting all other programming and starting to broadcast uh, a newscast 24 hours a day only about preparations for a possible hurricane. So you cut the signal from NBC in that case, right. from the network. Uh, yes, we cut the signal from the network. And, and generally, that's not going to happen until a hurricane watch is, is, is issued. And, but that could be as many as 48 hours before a storm even strikes. Um, so, you know, two days prior, we're already going wall-to-wall with coverage on TV. And then if, if it should strike South Florida, chances are we're going to continue on the air 24 hours a day beyond the hurricane strike because there's going to be damage to, to, to report, power outages to report, problems to report. So um, it does become a very intense week, and uh, those those are trying times when, when you have to work that hard. But I'll tell you what, I mean, I, I um, knowing myself over the years, uh, you know, I really know how my brain and body function during those weeks, and adrenaline really takes over. I mean, adrenaline is an incredible driver during weeks like that. And I know this especially because once the threat passes, once the storm has either passed or we know that the, the, the potential threat is gone, my next few days, I'm on a, a total down. I mean, I'm, I'm, I've lost all my energy because I'm tired from all the work I've done before, and I no longer have the adrenaline pushing my body to, to continue uh, strong on the air with good presentation. So those days after a storm has passed are not my best newscast because I'm just, you know, I, I have no energy. I'm just really, really tired. So I mean, the weeks are intense. It sounds like it. Yeah. yeah weeks I mean, are pretty wall intense. Wall-to-wall coverage. Yeah. Is it, do you have any uh, stories by times maybe you were outside covering a hurricane, like some crazy winds affected you? So, I mean, because I've always been a chief meteorologist and I've never 
done anything but being the chief, uh, that means I'm always in-house uh, during a storm, always in-house. So the ones that go out and cover the storm surge or cover the winds or whatnot, down trees, down power lines, those are either reporters or some of the other meteorologists in our weather department, but the chief is always in-house. So I've always covered a hurricane, whether it was back in 92 with Andrew when I was working for Univision at Channel 23, um, uh, or the 04 and 05 storms when I was with Telemundo, or, uh, you know, more recently, we haven't had any strikes out Florida ever since I've been on NBC. I started in 2009. There hasn't really been one to strike South Florida yeah. s- between 09 and the present. Uh, so there's really been no chance to, to do that type of coverage. I mean, we, we, let's see, we had, uh, we did have a little bit of coverage from Tropical Storm Erica a couple of years ago. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, yeah. I think we were under a tropical storm or hurricane watch and therefore that triggered that type of coverage. But it only lasted for a day, and we were the station that was totally downplaying it, knowing that it was probably going to dissipate. Um, and we were, it's funny, because while we were saying that, we were being criticized. Uh, you know, saying, hey, you know, is this dangerous? Why is Channel 6 playing this down? But it turns out that we were the right ones uh, on that situation. And unfortunately, people don't realize that until afterwards. They keep criticizing you and criticizing right, you. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. But I, I mean, I, there's there's a loyal following out there. There's a lot of people that really like to get just the facts about the situation, the weather situation, and not the hype. Um, I think a lot of people are, are, are very aware of what type of TV market this is when it comes to hurricanes, and they're very um, uh, sensitive to that type of uh, overhyping. So I think a lot of people appreciate the way we do it here at Channel 6. Yeah. It's crazy, though, because Miami is, like, the most insane weather in terms of, like, unpredictable rain mm-hmm. that just sure. kind of comes and goes. I mean... Yeah. Uh, rain one side of the block and not the other type yeah. of thing. Yeah. It happens to me on campus all the time. <laughs> is that weird? Like, what percentage of the time do you think you're actually end up being wrong, which is a weird thing to So, So to. that's been... That's actually been studied, right? I mean, there are um, studies that show the statistics of how often a weather forecast is correct and how often it's incorrect. So it turns out we're incorrect about 15% of the time and correct 85% of the time. Uh, of course, you know, for people that have a you know, picnic planned or a football game planned or golf match or whatever, and it rains on them and they get upset, they always remember the 15% of the time that we're wrong and they never forget the other 85% when we're right, right? So uh, that's, that's exactly. the way it goes. That's, that's human stick. nature. Human yeah, nature. Yeah, exactly. Now, <laughs> For those listening, we are actually between newscasts for now, so I won't take up too much more of your time because I know you're a busy guy. You got a weather yep. station run. Uh, one thing I really wanted to ask you was like, what's like the craziest South Florida weather thing that you've seen? Like the weirdest? Like you could not have studied for this? Well, I mean, so South Florida weather is, as you said, pretty crazy and pretty unpredictable sometimes. And I think um, I think we've seen some instances here of just ridiculous deluges. I mean, these insane amounts of rain in a short period of time. And this has happened recently. We've, what I'm going to tell you about might have happened maybe three years ago, uh, just up the road in uh, Palm Beach County, southern Palm Beach County, uh, not far from Boca Raton. You know, 22 inches of rain in a matter of about six hours. Uh, that's just nuts. I mean, that's an incredible amount of rain. And it, it produced, of course, a massive flood for them. Floods here in South Florida are weird. They're not, you know, like the Colorado, you know, gushing down the gorge type of flood. Here is basically just standing water. But when it starts to enter businesses and homes, it's a serious issue. And I've seen a lot of that over the years. Uh, We did have one other, uh, this other anecdote I'll tell you about in the year 2000. 
uh, we had this uh, tropical system come up from the south, and I think it was in October, and um, it behaved just like a storm, just like a tropical storm, but it was never classified as one. So it, to this day, it's known as the no-name storm. Uh, came up from the south, dumped about 18 inches of rain. Wow. Um, a little bit of wind, too, but it never got a name. It was just a big tropical system coming up from the south. So that, that was pretty weird as well. Who didn't classify it? The Weather Service? It never. Yeah, I guess, I guess it didn't have all the, it didn't check all the boxes for the National Hurricane Center. But it Center, had the so impact of one. It sure did. I mean, 18 inches of rain and, and yeah. some wind as well. It's kind of like how Wilma was a Category 1, but it stayed for so long, ended up having the damage of it. Yeah, yeah, Wilma, Wilma hit uh, southwest Florida as a Cat 3, so it was a major okay. hurricane when okay. it hit southwest, southwest Florida. But you are, you're not incorrect in saying that um, it was Cat 1 for Miami-Dade County. The conditions in Miami-Dade County from Wilma were Category 1 conditions. That was the type of wind that affected Dade. Cat 2 for Broward and even higher up the, up the coast. So um, uh, people remember Wilma quite a bit. The, it's funny because that very same year we had another hurricane come through South Florida known as Katrina, which eventually became infamous for uh, uh, devastating Mississippi and Louisiana. Uh, but Katrina came through South Florida as a Cat 1. And that was, the, I'll give you the third instance of weird weather. Uh, Katrina was heading straight west from the Bahamas. It was going to go up into uh, Fort Lauderdale. And then it took a, a, a southwest turn which is very unusual. Hurricanes rarely move in a southerly direction in this hemisphere. They, if anything, they're moving northerly but not, you know, or westerly, but not southerly. So they were move, moving southwest, hit Miami-Dade, went on to hit the Florida Keys where there was no hurricane warning in effect because the Hurricane Center didn't expect it to move in that direction. Uh, so the Keys were totally caught off guard by this hurricane in 2005. Uh, when they weren't expecting it. So, so yeah, there's, like, like you said, there's some pretty weird stuff that goes on uh, regarding weather in South Florida. It's an exciting place to be in be if you're a meteorologist because one of the great things about meteorology is that it's different every day. There's always something different to look at. Even in the most mundane weather pattern in the summertime when you, you know it's going to be sunny in the morning, hot, and that's going to lead to some afternoon thunderstorms, the thunderstorms don't form in the same place every day, and they tend to favor certain areas of the city more one day than another day, and sometimes they're stronger than they are on other days. So all these varying factors and elements that change from day to day that make my job very exciting. Yeah. You can't get tired of that, right? Okay, no, I, no, I never get bored. Exactly. All right, last question, and I'll let you get you have a uh, weathercast to plan, uh, <laughs> even though I'm sure by now you can do it with your eyes closed. <laughs> but uh, just last question. I know you've been to the White House twice. Yeah. Correct. You went once during the Clinton administration and once during the Obama administration. Correct. Uh, which time was way cooler? Just, just <laughs> very basic question from like a fanboy. I just want to know which one. Was cooler. Um, man, you know, uh, that's that's a tough question, and I, and and I know you're looking for a specific answer, but I'll tell you why it's tough. When I went in 1997, I got to shake hands with Al Gore and uh, President Clinton, both in the East Room of the White House. This is after uh, Al Gore did his. Uh, famous or infamous, depending on your point of view, presentation on climate change, uh, which eventually led to uh, uh, his movie, uh, An Inconvenient Truth, right? Right, right. So, I mean, he's a Nobel Peace Prize winner, um, uh, and, and it, was, it really opened my eyes regarding the situation with uh, global warming and climate change. Uh, so, so that was very exciting. And when I went back in 2014 during the Obama administration, I didn't just, didn't just meet with Obama. I met with um, uh, uh, the, the chief uh, uh, 
science officer. I met with the chief of staff. I met with all these important people of the White House staff talking about weather and talking about climate change, and there were only eight meteorologists invited from the entire country. Wow. So it was a tremendous honor because it was a much smaller group than in 1997. Um, so both times were very exciting. Um, I, I am very proud of the work that uh, that uh, I've been able to do over the years. I mean, it's a career that's, yes, it's been 25 years on TV, but you have to tack on another seven years prior to that working for the National Weather Service as a forecaster, as a federal employee, right? Um, so it's, it's a long career. It's one that... Um, has uh, allowed me to forecast the weather mainly in the tropics and subtropics, so I have great expertise about hurricanes and tropical storms. But also, uh, one particular distinction about what I do is that uh, Climate Central has called me the most, uh, the, the broadcast meteorologist that communicates the most about uh, climate change in the country. And I do it through social media, but I also do it on TV. When I have opportunities to do so, um, because either we're getting our king tides and the streets are flooding for, with salt water in South Florida, or we're getting excessive rainfall events like the one I described in Southern Palm Beach County, or we're getting heat waves or, or things that are opportunities to discuss our changing climate, I do so on the air with no fear and really no negative repercussions. I never get any pushback from, uh, from uh, my audience. So I'm proud of that as well, and uh, hopefully we'll be doing this for a few more years to come. And I'll just keep interviewing you while you do <laughs> Sounds it. Sounds <laughs> great. Sounds great. All right. We'll let you plan the weathercast. John, thank you so much for being well, thanks here. thanks for having me. It's uh, great fun, and uh, you know, good luck to everyone. Thank you. You hear that? John believes in you. Yeah, I do. The most trusted climate change <laughs> expert. All right. Thanks, John. You bet. All right. That is it for episode two. Thank you so much to Mr. John Morales, the weatherman of South Florida, the weatherman, for coming on to the show. And thank you to all you wonderful listeners for tuning in. Hope you learned something. I know I did. I learned that I'm scared to be here. <laughs> but if you have any questions for the next batch of interviewees, you could just tweet them at me at DanielNew101, or you could just Facebook stalk me, whichever one comes first. So that is it for this, and I look forward to helping you guys learn some more in the next episode. Take care.